Well, it's really good to be here. I want to thank my table family for cheering me on. Thank you, Vicki, for coming for, to hear me, even though you didn't know I was preaching. Vicki's been a dear friend for many years and is here visiting from Michigan. She goes, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm preaching. And she goes, oh, strange. <laughs> so I'm really honored to be here today. And I uh, have lived what that guy was talking about. I have six children from 30 down to 19 and three grandchildren. And sometimes I've felt like that. This is too much. Uh, But God's grace is great and I wouldn't change a day. I wouldn't trade a day. Uh, So happy Mother's Day. To every woman that this is a hard day, I bless you. We want to acknowledge that this isn't an easy day for every woman. In fact, if you have a prodigal and you're willing to be vulnerable and stand, I'm going to pray for you. For five years, I didn't hear from a daughter. On Mother's Day. So Father God, I ask, those of you that are around them, put a hand on them. Pray for them. Father God, I pray for these mothers' hearts. I ask that grace would overfill them. That your grace would cause them to stand when they can't stand. God, that your grace would give them faith and trust in the midst of hard times. God, I ask that you would let them see you as ever-present help in times of trouble. And Lord, I pray for those children that they would hear your voice and respond to your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna need some Kleenex, I don't know. This is a, I'm not a crybaby, but I'm close. Jack's the crybaby. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3 for me. Flora, I so appreciated your word because the title of my message is on seasons. And she set the table for us. Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. 
As you look at that, there's two different words for time that we're looking at here. In that first verse, there's a time for everything. That's an appointed time. Like Esther set a time to celebrate Purim or Nehemiah set a time to go build the wall. But then every other time that I read is really better interpreted season. There's a season for these things. God works in seasons. Uh, the word is ath. And he works in seasons. If you look in scripture, you know, it talks about dew season, night season, first season, rainy season. God works in seasons. Here in Colorado, we celebrate seasons. We have summer, fall, winter, and springter. <laughs> which is really fake spring, really just winter. There are life seasons, you know, the seasons of diapers and seasons of teenage years. There are spiritual seasons. I made a list of seasons as I just kind of thought of my life. A season of innocence, a season of learning, a season of ad adventure, a season of discovery, seasons of fear, seasons of shame, seasons of success, seasons of popularity, seasons of insecurity, seasons of stepping out. Seasons of seeking and seasons of joy. Seasons of growth, seasons of adoption. Seasons of love, seasons of frustration. Seasons of despair, seasons of numbness. Seasons of great trial, seasons of bitterness. Seasons of betrayal, of awakening, of usefulness, rest and busyness. Seasons of acceptance and seasons of doubt. Seasons of creativity and seasons of darkness. Seasons in the desert and seasons on the mountaintop. Seasons of abundance, seasons of failure. Seasons of exhaustion and seasons of contentment. There's all kinds of seasons. And, and it's interesting, you go on just a little bit more into the verse 11. And it says, he has made everything beautiful in his time or in his season." He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Don't you feel that way sometimes that you just can't fathom what's going on? Don't you think the hardest part of seasons is not knowing what you're doing in this season? I mean, everybody talks about seasons. But how do you get to the next season? It's not as easy as turning the calendar. And how do seasons come upon you that you didn't even know were coming? And it's very interesting because many times, this is Solomon wrote this. Remember Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived? And he's saying, who can fathom? Many times we're all out here saying, what is God doing? Isn't that the $10,000 question we'd like answered? Well, Jade's preaching on that next Sunday, but this Sunday, <laughs> this Sunday, what I'm preaching on is how, how do we understand that? And, and I don't have all the answers. I just have an experience of seasons. 
And so I'm gonna share what I've learned. Because it's in difficult times when we can't discern what season we're in and how to move, the, move into the next season or we get anxious about the season, that it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to be in despair. And it's easy to pull back and shut down our emotions. And it's easy to blame God or blame man or be offended. You think about John the Baptist. Remember when he got put in jail and he told his disciples, would you go ask Jesus if you're really the guy? Now don't forget, John the Baptist is the one that, that baptized. He's the one that baptized Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the guy. But I think that he didn't understand how could I have served God so faithfully and end up in this prison? That's what he didn't understand. And that's why Jesus wrote back and said, I'm the one, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, all that stuff. And blessed are those who aren't offended. See, because it's easy to be offended when you're going through a hard time. It's easy to be offended when no one sees your giftings. They just see their giftings. It's easy to get offended. If that's something that you struggle with, there's a great book on um, The Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards. He's the one that wrote the, the Tale of Three Kings. Well, this is, he elaborates on this. Well, let me, let me just go to a couple verses here. I'm gonna, just for the sake of time, I have them printed out here. You could just write them down. Um, I'm gonna go quicker than most of you are gonna be able to get into your word is what I'm trying to say. Uh, See, God's ways are higher than our ways, right? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans eleven thirty three in the Amplified said, Oh, the depth and riches of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unfathomable, inscrutable, unsearchable are his judgments, his decisions. How untraceable, mysterious, undiscoverable are his ways, his methods, and his paths. I so many times joke, if God had just give me a, send me a fax, I'd understand this. You know, don't you just want that kind of clarity? I guess now in the new day, it's not a fax. What is it, Joe? I don't know. A text or something. <laughs> Joe, I heard Joe laughing at me. Because I said facts. That's okay. I'm not offended. <laughs> so it goes on in, in Psalms 103.7, he said that he made known his ways to Moses. So it's not like God's trying to keep a secret from us. He's not trying to play hide and seek with you. But he has his ways and they're higher than our ways. Turn in your Bibles, everyone that has a Bible with you or a phone or whatever you use, turn to Exodus 33 with me. I've been a Christian since I was 18. And I've never noticed this before. I know I'm a little slow. But this was interesting to me. This is Exodus 33. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Verse 11, I'm sorry, the first part of verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face 
as one speaks to a friend. Then I'm gonna skip down to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Then verse 14, God responded and said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In the message in verse 13, it says, if I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. Moses seems to be asking for one thing. He's saying, okay, God, I need to know how to do this and I need to know who you're gonna have me do this with. Send me a blueprint of your ways, because that's what it is, and then let me know who's gonna help me. If, you, in, if, it's in, if your Bible's like mine, I was reading from the right side. If I go to the left side of the same page, there's Moses finding Aaron and Miriam, his staff, dancing around the golden calf. So you, you wonder why Moses is praying this. It's like, hey, my brother and sister kind of messed up. And so he's saying, who are you gonna send with me? And God answers with, my presence will be with you and I will give you rest. And I can hear Moses saying, you didn't understand what I asked for. God, I asked for who's going, how we're doing this. That's real nice, your presence is gone and you're gonna give me rest. But I need to know how. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. Or if Moses was a mom, I think it would sound like this. God, I think you heard what I, you didn't hear what I asked for. My kids are kind of difficult. I think it might be my spouse's fault. What books am I supposed to read? Or who do I get advice from because I don't want my kids embarrassing me. And I still want to look good in the church. Because that's what he's saying. He says, I still want to have favor with you. See, Moses asked for one thing and God seems to have given him a different answer. But you got to remember God's ways are higher. And he answered the question that Moses should have been asking. God does that sometimes. He doesn't answer what we want to know the answer to. He asks what we should be asking. Because if his presence is with us, his spirit's going to be guiding us. And he'll be able to not lay out a blueprint like we would like to have sometimes, but a nudge here and a gentle tap there. Have you ever seen a good mom walking through a crowd with her kids? She doesn't usually have them on a leash, and I don't mean to offend those of you that have done that, but usually it's just a touch, just a nudge, because they're used to that hand. And that's how the Holy Spirit can do with us if we get used to his presence. The problem is, is most of us haven't gotten used to his presence because we're used to the hamster wheel we're on. And it takes time to get into his presence. And he said, you're gonna be in my presence and I'm gonna give you money. 
No. I'm going to give you wisdom. Again, you know, those are the things we'd ask for. He says, I'm going to give you rest. And that rest means peace on every side. That's different, you know, and, and like we look at Moses, that's like in the war, you know, they're fighting into the promised land, that kind of stuff. But it still applies to us. If we have peace on every side, you know, that's, that's in his presence. That helps us be able to hear him, to know which way to go. We need to learn to abide in his presence, to dwell and live and remain and continue. Because the word says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't you want to live there? Full of joy with his pleasures forevermore. Well, that, the key is learning to abide in his presence. Part of that abiding in his presence is embracing the season that we're in. Because if we're not embracing the season we're in, we're resisting. We're thinking that God's too little to change our season. That he's so small that somehow he didn't get the news about what we're going through. So how do we do that? I'm a teacher by trade. I taught math. I like things lined out. And so I have five things. This isn't like five things that are going to make your life perfect forevermore. These are five things that will help you. Okay? That's all I can promise. The first one is celebrate your uniqueness. Celebrate it. I'm a mom of twins, but they're still unique. Other people may say they look the same, but they're very unique. Chris Volatin says, you were saved when you believed in Jesus, but you got transformed when you realized he believed in you. Let's repeat that. Chris Volatin, you were saved when you believed in Jesus, but you got transformed when you realized he believed in you. You got to remember he's on your side. He's not just on your side when you act perfectly. He's on your side. He died on the cross for you to be on his side. But when you got on his side, he got on your side. You need to study how God wired you. Learn about redemptive gifts. Learn about your spiritual gifts. Learn about your spiritual, um, your personality types and your love languages. I know when Jack and I learned uh, this, a lot of people don't, uh, haven't studied redemptive gifts as much, and we called them motivational gifts back when faxes were being used. And, <laughs> and, but Brad Herman at the Arsenal sells a book that he's printing up on redemptive gifts, so it's a good study, and, and you could get it there. Uh, I don't even remember who it's by right off the top of my head, but once Jack and I understood our redemptive gifts, there was so much more peace in our marriage. Because I didn't think, why is he so idiotic that he doesn't see things the way I do? <laughs> Unfortunately, type D people think that way. And if you're a type D person, you just 
stood corrected. Um, And he couldn't understand why I was like I was. It's because that's the way God wired us. And if we put the picture together, it works really well. If it goes one way or the other, it's a little strong. And so, but the more I understand who I am, then the more I understand how God wants to use me and work with me and work through me. The, the, um, and then also I can see my weaknesses better. See, a lot of times what hindering it, what's hindering us in this getting into the new season is our weaknesses. But most of us don't have rear view mirrors where we can see our blind spots. And both, most of us don't live in relationship enough with people who have the freedom to say, hey girl, you need to quit doing that. And so the more you study about your type of person in general, that helps you. And it helps you to see those blind spots that might be keeping you in this holding pattern that you're in. We've got to be teachable. None of us have arrived. Wrong, and then we need to know ourselves, but we also need to know the Lord. Wrong thinking about God and people often begins with a low image of ourselves. That's from Brennan Manning. So we take off the mask and we be ourselves. Moses met God face to face. See, we heard a guy come to church one time and he goes, we all go to the fine Baptist church. I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine, we're just fine, we all have our masks on. Well, charismatic churches have their own masks too. And when we wear those masks, what happens is we never grow because we keep our masks on. So we've got to keep our masks off, walk in humility. Uh, A couple quick quotes from Brennan Manning in Ruthless Trust. Following Jesus, the humble in heart wastes little time in introspection, navel-gazing, looking in the mirror, and being anxious about their spiritual growth. Their self-acceptance without self-concern is anchored in the acceptance of Jesus in their struggle to be faithful. They fasten their attention on God. So too, the spiritual woman or man does not fret and flap over opportunities missed, does not hammer for herself, not hammer herself for not working hard enough and does not have a panic attack wondering whether she has received grace in vain. She lives in quiet confidence that God is working in her day by day. Like the farmer, she is not totally passive or presumptuous. The woman knows that she has her full assurance of work to do, but realizes that the outcome rests with God and that the decisive factor is unearned grace. Thus she works as if everything depends on God and prays as if everything depends on her. She learned from the Trappist monk Thomas Keating that the only way to fail in prayer is to not show up. Avoid competition and comparisons. Jealousy traps us in a place and keeps us moving, keeps us from moving forward because our eyes are focused on that other person instead of ourselves and God. And so it's like we're transfixed on the person we're jealous of or comparing with and it's like it puts us in a holding season. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer's fiance said it well. I learned this probably when I was 30 years old, and I quote it all the time. Comparisons don't make our own situation any better, and they just ruin our relationships. Number two, avoid hurry. Live in the moment. Be present where you are. So many times when we have big dreams with God, we miss what is happening now. We don't see the significance of now. We think we are stuck in this nowhere place with dreams of going somewhere else. If we separate the word nowhere, it becomes now here. Brennan Manning says it well, to be fully present to whoever or whatever is immediately before us is to pitch our tent in the wilderness of nowhere. It's an act of radical trust, trust that God can be encountered at no other time and no other place than the present moment. Being fully present is now, is the now, in the now is perhaps the premier skill of the spiritual life. More often than not, I do not hear the music of what is happening now because my mind ricochets between the past and the present. I mean, past and the future. Romans 12, one and two says, so here's what I want to do, want you to do, and I want to do it too. God helping me take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Anne Voskamp in her book, 1,000 Gifts, talks about hurry. She, she quotes a couple of authors. Being in a hurry, getting, up, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me, I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry. But a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all that rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time. It turns out I was throwing it away. In our rushing, bowls in a china shop, we break our lives. Haste makes waste. On every level of life, from housework to heights of prayer, in all judgment and efforts to get things done, hurry and impatience are a sure mark of the amateur. And then she goes on to say, I scrub the bowl hard. I try to scrape away the regret of a life lived amateur because that is the way I have lived. And I say, I, Terry, that's the way I have lived. From the time the alarm first rings, I check these relentless hands keeping time on the clock. The time, always the time. I'm an amateur trying to beat time. The six kids rouse, we race, the barn in hurry, the breakfast in hurry, the books, the binders in hurry. In a world addicted to speed, I blur the moments into one unholy smear. I have done it, I do it still. Hands of the clock whip hard. So I push hard and I bark hard and I fall hard. And when their wide eyes brim sadness and their chins tremble weak, I'm weary. And I am the thin 
clear skin reflecting their fatigue about to burst, my eyes glistening their same sheer pain. The hurry makes us hurt. It's so vital we live in the moment. I I can think of so many times, some of you are probably doing this now. You're planning what you're gonna do this afternoon while you're here. Be here. God might wanna speak to you here. I can remember, I could read a full book to a child and have my mind elsewhere. What a travesty. This is not easy for multitaskers and task-oriented people, but it's, you can do it. Jesus can teach you to be in the moment. Every person is worth your time. There's nobody, no clerk at the grocery store, no person that serves you that's not worth your time when you engage them. How many people do you walk past always in a hurry? not engaging them. That was for me too. Number three, get God's perspective on your situation. Pray for a spirit of wisdom and understanding from Isaiah 11 too. As a young mom, I prayed Psalms 90, 12, probably every single day. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So critical to ask the Lord for wisdom and understanding. Ask him. Cooperate in the process. Lord, what are you trying to do in this season? What are you working with in me? What are you trying to teach me? How can I be a compliant child with the Lord? Most of us aren't compliant children with our parents, but we can be with the Lord. Ask him. Remember that rarely are things of beauty made without pressure or heat or fire or tension or piercing or cutting or spreading thin or sanding. Colin and Jill are gonna come help me real quick. I had to think of somebody really smart, so I got Colin. He's one of the smartest guys I know. And, and the thing is, he's, he's smart, 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 but he's spiritually seized too. Okay, so Jill, if you'll stand back here a second. Colin's gonna be like a lot of us. Put the stand facing them and put that up to yours. We live life with tunnel vision and we focus on one situation or what's in front of us, or why isn't God changing this, okay? Jill, can you help take this off? You stay looking forward. Okay, he's, he's gonna look at life the way we're gonna look at life. Okay, now I need you to close your eyes, Colin, and I want you to turn around, and I want you to get that right up. He's gonna go right up close. Okay, now open your eyes. Okay, Colin, can you tell me what this is a picture of? No. What's it look like? It looks like an ocean. Okay. It looks like an ocean. That's pretty good for what he's seeing. Okay, Jill, can you see it well enough from there? Okay, 
Jill is his mom, and I did this on purpose because I want you to see that moms sometimes have a better perspective, but... <laughs> okay, you could stop. Okay, so Jill, what is it? That's right, it's pomegranate. See the pomegranates laying on the table. Uh, our daughter made this in her first class that she took with oil paintings. And I, thank you. You, gave, you did a good job of, of, he saw the ocean right here is where he was looking. So it did look like ocean. The interesting thing about this picture is that she was supposed to make a big painting and they were supposed to stretch the canvas. And this is the failure. She stretched the canyon at, at canvas and it failed. So she threw it aside and she got another canvas and she painted the pomegranates with a brush. And she did that for the class. This was the failed canvas she stretched again. And did it with the knife. This is the one that won the awards. How many of us don't pick up the canvas that fell to the floor? Remember, if you're too close to something, you can't always see the big picture. That's what Mike Bickle, or Mike Bickle says, don't waste a good trial. See, we're so focused on our trial up here that all we can see is the ocean. It's interesting to me, Friday night in the middle of the night, I woke up and after 20 years I finally saw a big picture when we were 20 years ago we uh, were working Jack was a, a associate pastor at a church it was a big church I don't know six or seven hundred people called it their church and um, he was the children's pastor associate pastor he, they just loved him he was adored there and uh, we were living in a rental house that sold. And so we needed to move. And so we said, okay, you know, God, you can provide. We weren't making very much money, but we thought for sure we'd be able to find a place. It was kind of an area that was fairly wealthy, so it was kind of hard to rent houses in that area. And... Um, Right at that same time, the pastor moved out of the parsonage. It was a huge house on probably two or three acres right next to the church. And everyone, and it was totally paid for. And we had five children at the time. And it seemed like it was like a no-brainer. Well, the Browns need a house to live in. They're serving us faithfully. We love them move into the parsonage. Well, the people running it decided that we could move in, but we would need to pay two months of rent up front as a deposit before we could do that. And we didn't have that money. And 
And so we looked all over to find a house. And it was during the flood of 93. And all the rental places were taken up. And we finally found a house the morning we had to move. We called it the pygmy house. No offense to short people, but... <laughs> there, were, there were rooms in the house where the ceiling was 6'6". Six, six. My husband's 6'6". Six, six. I think it was like 900 square feet for our family of five. We moved in, and the very... We moved on a Saturday, and on Monday, this really sweet couple from the church shows up. And these are like these people that have no guile. They never would try to offend or whatever. And they had these big posters that said contentment. And all the verses from the Bible on contentment. One of my good friends said she's lucky she didn't get that wrapped around her neck. (laughs) My good friend knew me. Well, I knew, I've known for a lot of years that God used that as pressure and heat and fire to refine my character and to make me more Christ-like and to do the things in me that needed to be done in me. Because it, it was, that wasn't even the, the worst of it. The worst of it was a friend went to someone and complained about it on our behalf and I was accused of stirring up trouble. And then I entered that season of bitterness that about killed me. But as I was laying in bed on Friday, I realized that if we'd moved into the parsonage, that our sweet friend Mike Grassley, a rough and tumble Vietnam vet, would never have come to us and said, hey, let me build a house for you. We said, oh, Mike, we don't think we're going to be staying here that long. We feel called to a different place. He said, well, that's okay. Sell the house, and when you go, it'll be a nest egg for the next place. It took me 20 years to see the big picture. That if God had let us move into that parsonage, the very thing we so wanted... We wouldn't have been able to move to Colorado Springs when God called us to move here. We wouldn't have had the money. We wouldn't have been able to buy a house. All I could see was the ocean of that tiny house. Oh, by the way, it had no air conditioning. And we lived there over the summer. See, I didn't see the big picture till Friday night. See, so many times all we can see is what's right in front of us. We've got to, number four, we've got to be thankful in the moment. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to be thankful and depressed at the same time. To be thankful and angry at the same time. To be thankful and stressed at the same time. To be thankful and full of self-pity at the same time. To be thankful and worried at the same time. And to be thankful and fearful at the same time. Look for things to be thankful for. Go on a scavenger hunt. Start in your house. 
Start with your husband. Start with your wife. Start with that 13-year-old. No offense to 13-year-olds. But I've had six of them. Be thankful. I remember one time this lady called me and said, doesn't your husband have any fault? I said, oh yeah, he does. I'm just much happier if I'm not thinking about him. (laughs) That came out of my mouth before it went through my brain. I'm serious. I stood there and thought, that's really good. We have to, we have to, thankfulness is not natural, but it can be learned and we can train our children to walk in it. Exclaim them out loud. If you want to be in the moment and in his presence, look for him in the midst of everything and then be thankful. Lastly, Be content. Rest in him. In scripture, there's this thing called, I never can say it right, antinomy. It's like a contradiction or a a seemingly contradiction. It's a tension between uh, one thing said in scripture and the other thing said in scripture. And that's how we get these legalistic camps in the body of Christ as people camp around one end or the other where we really need the Holy Spirit to help us to know how to apply the word. If you read the word without the Holy Spirit, it's so easy to get into legalism because you find your verse or you come with your agenda. If you've been abused, you come with your agenda with judgment or you come with your agenda with mercy or whatever it is. You can know a lot of scripture and not know the living word. So an example of this is how we respond to a brother or sister who offends us or is caught in great sin or open sin. One scripture says we cover the sin. That'd be Proverbs 10, 12 and 17, 9. And then on the other end, it says we're supposed to openly rebuke them. Well, how do we know? Are we to cover or do we openly rebuke? That's what that antinomy is, okay? Well, in the atmosphere of we're going to do great things for God, there's a tension with contentment. And if we, if we don't walk with the Spirit, we're always going to live in that land of dissatisfaction. Because we know we're called to great things on God. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or Daniel 11.32 is even better. But the people who knew God, know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Well, what do you do with it when you're just carrying out the trash? You know, I mean, let's be honest. Some days there's not a lot of great exploits going on. And if we, don't, if we don't come into a place of contentment in the midst of our walk with Jesus, we're always going to live in a place of dissatisfaction. Now remember, contentment isn't complacency. 
It's not like I'm never going to do anything for God or being content with watching 50 hours a week of TV every week or whatever. That's not what we're saying. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Notice Paul had to learn it. So do we. So do we. One of my other verses I prayed all the time when I was a young mom, even when I was living in the pygmy house. But godliness with contentment leads to great gain. A devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. That's 1 Timothy 6.6 out of the message. Yes, do great things for God, but we must walk with the Holy Spirit, Spirit and be content in the season. God's trying to work something in us so he can work through us. If we're always rushing to the next level, thinking that we need to do something more for God and be pushing doors open, then when we get on a stage, the enemy has us right where he wants us because that character hasn't been formed in us. That's the danger of these young adult leadership training things. They're wonderful, they're good. But character cannot happen overnight. Character comes through the seasons. I can remember, you know, I, I know I hear the Lord, but I don't, I think maybe once or twice I've heard the audible voice of the Lord. One of them was years and years ago, I was probably 24 years old, had twin babies, things were tough. And I heard the Lord say, Terry, just because things are rough does not mean you're not in my will. So many times we think that if we're in God's will, then everything will be good. We'll have the white picket fence life. You know, God's the perfect father and he has prodigals. There's no guarantee that you can do things perfectly enough. But God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's the key. That's the key to it. Knowing that you can walk with the Lord and be content in all circumstances. That's the key. And that's the life that those that are lost are longing for. So in review, celebrate your uniqueness. Avoid hurry. Live in the moment. Lay down your technology. Lay down your phone. Lay down your iPad. Lay down your computer. And live in the moment with a real person. I'm, I'm so guilty of this. I remember one time, or not, I wish it was one time. <laughs> I was sitting on my, I was sitting in a chair with my laptop on my lap. 
and one of the other kids was in the house and they had their computer out and Jack said, I'm just a lonely little man sitting there. <laughs> you know, because we're together, but we're not together. Get perspective on your situation. Be thankful, be content. And he promises his presence and his rest. So I want to give time for us to respond to this word. Have you rushed through seasons? Have you tried to get out of seasons? Have you thought God had forgotten you in a season? He said, be content. Uh, Hebrews 13.5, somebody quote it. Anybody got it? Because in it, it talks about... Keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So I'm gonna ask them to, Joe, do you think, is the CD ready back there? Okay. I'm gonna ask them to play a song that um, Misty Edwards has been singing in the prayer room lately. And it helps us get perspective about how much he loves us. And even before all this other stuff, he's, he's ours and we're his. So I, I, I don't know, is the altar open? Is that okay? Yeah. So the altar's open if you want to do business with the Lord. Uh, you're welcome to do that. Go ahead, John. that you'd forgive us for those times that we thought you'd left us that you'd forgotten us in a season we thank you that you're always doing a good work and we want to be the compliant child that cooperates with what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives so we declare yes that we're yours and you're mine we thank you Jesus 